Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today on Brand Story Inc., I'm pleased to welcome Stephen Paez to the show. Stephen is the Executive Vice President, Managing Director at Spark Foundry, where he oversees the multicultural practice, Cultural Quotient. Spark Foundry is a global media agency brand within Publicis Media, and Stephen leads the framework development and execution for multicultural strategy across all clients at Spark Foundry, which include the likes of Audible, Brown Foreman, Mondelez, Taco Bell, and Telemundo. In his role, Paez is tasked with working closely with all teams and practices to ensure that campaigns and activations are developed using cultural insights and with inclusivity in mind. Previously, Paez was at OMD, where he launched the Latino offering for the Central Region. He is a proud graduate of Florida International University, and I thought it made sense for us to spend some time today on the fastest-growing segment of the already robust Latinx U.S. population, which is currently just a hair under one in five Americans at like 19-point-plus percent of the country. And so for content creators looking for brand partnerships, Stephen and Spark are likely well on your radar as they're the frontline decision makers for dozens of household name brands who collectively spend billions of dollars in marketing and advertising. So we're really excited to have you on the show, Stephen. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much, Jay, for having me on. Yeah, well, this is running as we kick off Hispanic Heritage Month in, in 2021. And, you know, your background speaks for itself. But I would love to hear um, a little bit about the origin story of cultural quotient in within Spark Foundry. Yeah, so Spark actually um, is a is a brand that started out of Starcom MediaVest Group, mm-hmm. and it was previously known as Starlink. Mm-hmm. So it is part of Publicis Group, and about six years ago, Publicis went through a restructure in terms of. Um, simplifying the offering across publicists and business units to really have a more streamlined effect for our clients in terms of simplifying really what we're offering. So four verticals in terms of media, communications, where all the creative agencies landed, um, healthcare, and also um, technology. So Spark sits within the media vertical of publicist media, and it is the largest agency within Publicis right now. Well, you know, I think many people listening have been on uh, probably in the last two years Zoom calls with with your agency, pitching you uh, like we have, pitching you uh, ideas or media properties or concepts for investment from your brands. But I, I thought it would help. Um, you know, I, I went through with this in the bio, but maybe a little bit deeper on your day job. Exactly, what do you specifically do? What does a day to day look like for Stephen Paez? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and just to give you a little bit more background, sorry, because we were focusing on Spark before, um, from a cultural quotient perspective or a multicultural practice, um, we actually have are the first standing Hispanic multicultural agency of any holding group. So it was approximately oh. in over 30 years ago that um, out of Leo Burnett Media, actually, that they saw an opportunity with Hispanic audiences. So they started a specific division within that group. So it's been quite a while and really proud. Actually, that was um, one of the reasons why I ended up coming over to Publicis previously, um, Starcom Media Vest Group, 
was because of the strength that we had in the multicultural marketplace. So not only have we been the leader since then, but we continue to progress with the evolution, you know, moving away from just multicultural to actual culturally led. Yep. That's why the shift in names to cultural quotient. But to your question, in terms of my day job, it truly varies on a day-to-day basis. You know, um, a lot of the work that we do in terms of operationalizing, you know, frameworks and our clients' businesses, and also even from a staffing perspective, right? How do we ensure that we have embedded talent across the board um, with the specific expertise and that we're continuing to hire um, that correct talent to help push our clients' brands as we continue to see the evolution of the U.S. population and the growth within these audiences. Hmm. So, you know, you said something interesting that I want to maybe modify this next question I had for you because you said shifting from multicultural to cultural-led. And so, you know, anyone listening, kind of like this is a segment we call the media landscape. Anyone listening is relatively well-versed in the tipping point growth of streaming media in the past two years and and how um, integrated media in general has has rapidly evolved in the last five years. Um, and so the day of consumer-driven content, kind of like anywhere, where they want it, how they want it, has in many ways arrived. And so I, I'm curious from your perspective, both through the cultural lens and then also from the agency lens, what are some of the biggest changes you're seeing in media investments from brands? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like you said, right, unless you're living under the rock, you've seen what's happening overall from a consumption perspective and the shift in traditional uh, media vehicles such as linear into more of a digital um, perspective. So that's definitely something where we've seen that investment shift into more digital platforms. Definitely, you know, when we think about video, it's it's agnostic. Um, It's really any platform wherever consumers, we're really chasing those eyeballs. And as you mentioned, right, content is, is key as to specifically when we think about Hispanic audiences, right. Mm -hmm. And multicultural audiences, they follow the content, um, very fluidly across both traditional forms of media as well as digital. But the additional layer, when we think about, you know, audiences that have a language difference that they can really are more likely to just cross fluidly between Spanish and English, as well as just platform overall. Mm -hmm. You you know, I'm curious, um, as an outsider to the agency world, I think one of the things that that I would argue has yet to fully change from a brand perspective, which I'm sure frustrates folks on, on your side of the table, is the fact that you know the larger the brand, the bigger the dollars, it seems that the more agencies are involved by specialty, right? Like you have some large brands who may have a TV media buyer, another for digital, another for multicultural. And I've always, I feel like that is just so um, diametrically set up for not optimizing a brand because to to your point of kind of this fluidity, like in brand cohesion, when you have different agencies responsible for different either channels or platforms or or lenses, um, it gets complicated for everyone to play in in the same sandbox together. So I'm curious to see from just the bigger picture cross-platform content integration, how you at Spark Foundry kind of navigate some of those challenges? Yeah, and I think that that was, you know, that's one of the most critical jobs that I do, actually, right? And I was, as you asked me about my day-to-day, it's, it's that operationali- operationalization mm-hmm. of the expertise being embedded into, you know, a bigger agency like Spark. I think that 
Publicis and Spark have done a really great job in terms of ensuring that there's integration, but mm-hmm. that not to the extent of where it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. So what we work through across the different practices and across, you know, because you, when you think about it, it needs to go far deep, right? And yep. that's why when you were explaining what I do, it's not just from a planning perspective, it's not just from an investment perspective. You have to think about diverse audiences throughout the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that's the best thing about having, you know, a specialist like Spark Foundry that also has the specialty with diverse audiences. So how do we ensure that we have the correct talent embedded into teams that understand these diverse audiences and are able to bring that thought leadership into the forefront? So it's kind of twofold, right? Mm Because we have our planning framework that's called, we have our strategic framework that's called HEAT, right? Higher higher engagement affinity and transaction for brands. Mm-hmm. But then thinking about it throughout the whole entire way, at the core of it is cultural fluency. And that's the idea that your general market is no longer what it used to be. It really is being led through culture and diverse audiences. So our thought is that there has to be a basic knowledge of understanding of diversity across the whole entire agency. Right. And even when you think about it from resources and finance and all that, everybody has to have an understanding of the impact that diverse audiences are having on the job. Then secondarily, how do we complement it with the specialists? Right. And that's where the practice comes in. So the way that we look at it is that cultural fluency gives you the breadth. Cultural quotient gives you that depth because that's really the specialists that are helping accelerate our clients' businesses with diverse audiences. Well, you teed me up perfectly. So I want to go to the next segment, which is the case study, the case study file. So I'd love to get, uh, you know, a favorite recent or it doesn't even have to be recent cultural quotient case study that that illustrates what you're talking about, the cultural fluency, one that you're willing to share with us. Yeah, definitely. And, I, you know, when I was when I was thinking about this, you know, we have definite success from our clients. But I do think that at the core of it is how do we shift from just showing results to really providing frameworks that are going to drive clients' businesses. I think from the practice perspective, one of the things that I'm most proud of that we did over the last year was um, this work that we did that is, it's a co- it's a framework to really, for our brands, on how to respond in cultural crises. Hmm. So knowing that we were coming out of, you know, very tough times last year, um, not only with COVID, Right, that disproportionately affected both Hispanic and African American, but uh, the Asian hate that we were also facing. Then everything compounded, you know, during the summer with the George Floyd murder, mm-hmm. and then really that Black Lives Matter movement. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we developed was really a framework to see, you know, where are where where's your brand and what right do you have. Like what equity do you have in the space to really be able to respond and, and and participate in this conversation? Along with that, we also developed market pulse reports. So it was at the at the peak of it, it was really being published on a on a weekly basis in terms of what's going on from an industry perspective, how are brands responding, what's going on with the news, and anything you should be aware of in terms of responses or media impact, you know with the stop hate for profit, mm-hmm. um, positioning, like 
uh, we provided a ton of POVs from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And also earlier this year, we, you know, when, when everything happened in Atlanta against the Asian American population, Pacific Islander population, we also started to ensure that we were providing market pulses with that. So I, that's definitely one piece of work that I'm most proud of in terms of, you know, it was just very enlightening um, and educational and help really drive, um, you know, the work that that our teams and our clients were doing. From a well, I love, I love that. I love that it's a, you know, to your point, I think um, that it's a framework that's that's got a utility that's not specifically for a project or a campaign, but more the old, you know, teaching folks how to fish adage, right? I mean, that's that's. Um, I think that's it's much needed for for all brands, all agencies who are struggling at various, you know, it seems like each month there's a new cultural crisis that's emerging um, that many people are on their heels trying to deal with. So to have a framework for, to empower them to be proactive is, I can see why you're proud of that. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and I think the, the word framework, you know, as you mentioned, when, when we start to work on things, you know, at Spark, we have about 45 clients, so it, it, it's a lot of people and it's a lot of work um, that's getting done. So how can we ensure that we're educating as many people as possible, but mm -hmm. also providing them kind of guidance in terms of how to produce the work? Um, we had another client that specifically came to us, right? And and something from, from my perspective, Jay, if, if you're starting to think about multicultural audiences, either at the media if, mm -hmm. if you're thinking about it at media it's like it, it, that ship has sailed right because there's so many things that should have been affected by it before you get to media mm -hmm. and you start to try to you know like bolt on like spanish mm -hmm. language media or or something specific to spanish mm -hmm. to any multicultural audience right because then you want to you know um that's it, it sometimes can, the communication strategy needs to be in line right so from a client business perspective, we were able to develop another multicultural framework, actually. <clears throat> and what we tried to do there was really level up the business. And understanding right at the core of everything that we do is is your general market isn't your general market anymore, right? It's not what it used to be. It really is. And to one of your statistics that you said when you launched this conversation is that, yeah, currently close to one in five um one in five adults are Hispanic, but once you look at the younger generations, that's even greater. Yep. And when you look at really the youngest generations, those are already minority majority tipping mm -hmm. points, right? When you mm -hmm. think of zero to zero to seventeen, you know, millennials, Hispanics are even a greater percentage of that. So that's where that's really why our framework at the core of it is this idea of cultural fluency, but at the same time ensuring that we don't lose that expertise. But another piece of work that I was referring to was, you know, a framework to deliver growth in a culturally forward world. And when we, when we were talking with our clients about it and we were like, you know, a lot of times they have the best intention, but they don't know where to start or they don't know what to do next. So we developed this kind of decision tree that brought it all the way up to the business perspective. As I mentioned, right, if we're thinking about diverse audiences, when media or even the creative, that's pretty late, right? Like mm -hmm. we started with truly understanding what that 
what that business opportunity was, right? And if you had, have you been able to assess it as a brand, which one of those diverse audiences are like, would be the best one? What's that opportunity? How can we work with them to kind of uncover that? And it really went all the way down to the execution part of it. So how do we ensure that there's budget sufficiency when you think about it, right? Like how are we ensuring that there is um, creative that's going to align with it? What's that communication strategy? What is, what is really going to be able to, to move the needle with these audiences, but from a, coming from a business objective perspective, right? Because we know that yeah. the population is shifting, but that business perspective has to be there in order to, for us to really be able to deliver from a marketing and, and media perspective. Well, you know, and this... that really ended up. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say this is this is where I'm I'm super excited. Like you can't see me. I'm like rubbing my hands because as a middle-aged white guy who's on the front lines of, of owning a Latino media publisher, like I get you know I kind of get to see. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the last five years learning, in particular the Latinx market, with my colleagues, and and it's been it's been one of the more fulfilling things in my career. But I wanted to kind of go into the kind of something you alluded to, right? The Black Lives Matter movement supercharged conversations and, and seemingly significant changes in, in content investment and ways, to your point, up the chain where people were rethinking everything from the boardroom on down. And as DE&I has dominated the headlines in the content and brand storytelling world, I, I think one market that, that, that we see at Teamworks and LaVita Baseball that still is not relative to the population getting its spotlight is the Latinx audience. And with Hispanic Heritage Month upon us, you know, and the stats you just talked about, right? Like we're in, I'm based in Chicago. I saw a projection by 2040, 18 years from now, Chicago land is going to be 35% Latino, right? I mean, that's, it's enormous. And I just, I'm curious to get your POV of what you're seeing in terms of marketplace recognition of investment in Latinx and particularly in kind of content branded content space. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm educating people constantly that, you know, this is a legitimate more like I'm carrying the, the, the Latino flag out there. And, and I'm just I don't have a sense from the big picture of what you're seeing in terms of the recognition from from the, 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 the larger ecosystem, not necessarily your clients, because yeah. obviously they've got you quarterbacking them. So you're, you're educating them. But, you know, maybe a more macro conversation. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. And I don't know how long you've been with La Vida, but. You know, I I think I'm almost at 20, yep. <laughs> two decades yep. of doing this, right? And man, I was on a panel once and someone asked me about going into multicultural marketing and I'm like, if you don't have a passion for this, run. Yeah. Like, don't look back, <laughs> just run. Yes. Because it, it's something you have to have a passion for. I do think that the business, the business is very cyclical, in my opinion, right? Like... I feel like every five years we have to go through this re-education of diverse audiences mm -hmm. and the importance that they have and who they are and how to speak with them. Cause it's like, it's like a goldfish mentality. Like you could speak to, <laughs> you could speak to um, marketers and then all of a sudden it's like, but all these questions, right. In terms of um, what is the importance of these audiences and, and whatnot. And it's like, this is, if you don't have a multicultural strategy, you don't have a growth strategy because that is where 100% of growth over the next 
40 years in terms of population is coming from diverse audiences. And I think something to take into consideration when you're thinking about growth of audiences is specifically with the Latino and the Hispanic and Asian American markets, it's not solely birth in the U.S. There's still an influx of immigration that's happening, right? And culture, no matter what, is key for these Latino audiences in terms of really staying connected to their heritage and whatnot. And when you think about one of the passion points, that's definitely sports is one of them. So so you guys fit like right square in the middle. Um, I do believe that this year has been, because of, to your point, right, it's like all tides rise. When you mm-hmm. think about multicultural, all tides rise. Hispanic has always been at the forefront of the conversation. Um, and, and when you think about it, um, it is the largest growing segment and whatnot. Um, but there has to be prioritization of all diverse audiences in terms of, of business growth. But I do think that the trajectory for, for Hispanic marketing is in the rise. I, I, I think that we've seen, you know, a tremendous amount of growth for, from our brand in terms of investment. Um, so hopefully that we'll continue well, to see that, you I, know, you know, one thing I think that, that is different about the, the, the Latinx audience than others is that the nuances are greater, right? Like someone of Mexican descent compared to a Dominican or Venezuelan while Latino or Latina, completely different cultural, like customs, cultures, food, right? And, and it's this umbrella term and right, like within it, you know, my, my Latino and Latina colleagues and I joke about this, right? I mean, we've got on our staff, Venezuelans, Ecuadorians, Mexicans, Dominicans, and the, you know, it's the cultural differences are great. And it's, you know, I think one of the challenges for DEI, and we're doing this right now, we actually started a consulting practice out of La Vida Baseball, just to kind of help sports companies think about it. And and I'd, I'd be curious, you'd be, you probably wouldn't be shocked. I'm shocked because I'm talking to a lot of white decision makers who think that, to your point, by, by having a baseball game in Spanish on their SAP button, they're checking the box on multicultural. Like, and when you sit, it's not until you sit down and say, hey, look, you have um, whatever, superstar Latino baseball player and you can go to a whole new, uh, you can create new money. There's new opportunities and here's how you do it, right? And to your point, it's not about Spanish. I, I, I use this, it's like a magic trick. Every It's like 70%, Pew Research is 67% of US Latinos under the age of 40 consume, prefer to consume content in English first, right? It's this nuanced, it's not an either or black or white Spanish English. It's, it's the melding, right? And our, you know, as you know, it's like, you live this, this, and there's the Spanglish component to it. There's the, you know, when to interject cultural winks and things like that. And, and so I'm guessing that's part of it. It's complex, right? And I think it gets, I think the Latino audience gets, uh, or the Latinx audience gets sometimes oversimplified into this language where it's like, to your point, I feel like that's the very last end of the, of the, of the train. I don't know. We're just, but I do think that sometimes, yeah, I, I do think that sometimes, you know, the com- the complexity equals stag- like that complexity equals fear that then just doesn't equal activation against it. Agreed. Right? Like, it, it, which isn't necessarily always the case. 
right? Mm-hmm. I think, as you were mentioning it before, I think that, you know, sometimes there's data paralysis, like test and learn and all this that needs to go in. But there, it, it, it sometimes helps a higher standard in terms of having to activate against diverse audiences and other platforms and areas, I would mm-hmm. say. You know, it's it's challenging. Uh, from a from a cultural perspective, I agree that there's definitely ethnic nuances and whatnot, but that shouldn't be a deterrent for people to be able to advertise against the Latinx community. And, you know, at the end of the day, language is a tactic. It shouldn't be your strategy. Mm-hmm. It should always be culturally led. Um, but language is a huge cultural connector right um but i can't stress enough that that shouldn't be the reason why an advertiser isn't reaching out to latinos or 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 tapping into this market really because i I agree wholeheartedly but I, i think there's an element of um naivete you know you've been at this for 20 plus years i've been at it for five and I I, I, used I said to... almost twenty. Don't age me so much. <laughs> <laughs> almost twenty. But Steven, you know, it's one of these things where it's like it's it's one of these things where I'm just like, okay. I, honestly, when we started um Levita Baseball five years ago, it was a lifestyle culture content it's a media company. And I thought we were maybe in the third inning of the you know Latinx investment from brands, right? Recognizing it. And I, I still think we're at the top of the first based on some of the conversations I'm having, right? Like you probably have a different POV because you are working with A, A plus brands that get it, right? That's why they're with you. They, they've, they've seen the, they see the value and that's why they're with you. You're helping them navigate that audience. But I think to your point, there are a lot of people out there who we just, we spent five minutes talking about it. it and if you're, you know, a white 57 year old dude, who's the decision maker and the chief revenue officer, it, it makes your, you know, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get it right and to, to invest in it. And there's an element of if things are going okay in your job, why change, right? And so I think I feel like I'm carrying the flag and why I'm so excited to have you on and be like, that's crazy, right? Like in, in certain markets, it's one out of three potential customers you're not even speaking to in a way that they want to be spoken to. And so that to me is is why I'm so excited to have you on because you know, you have case study after case study of, of how you're ha- helping brands realize through cultural quotient that, you know, this is a significant audience, right? And I, I'm focusing on Latinx. You, you do for all audiences, but, um, you know, so anyway, I, I, I applaud what you're doing because to your point, and I think one of the funniest things, maybe I should have run when I met you five years ago. I'm joking, but, um, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've got the passion now. I really do. And it's become, you know, really rewarding thing. to educate people. It is, you know, to, but it's also kind of cool to see people's, you know, eyes light up and debunk it. It's not rocket science, right? It's not. And I, I you know, and I don't think anyone, like, because sometimes I'm in conversations and they're like, oh, because no one wants to. And I'm like, it's not that they don't want to. It's like, they, I honestly think that there's there's still a lack of understanding in terms of the opportunity and the audience size, mm-hmm. which is mind-boggling, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, it, it was like back in the 2000 census, right? That was the first time that 
you know, marketers really started yep. to see not first time, but that was like that first census that really showed that exponential growth across Hispanics that they were like, whoa, you know, like, did they just land here from Mars? Like, <laughs> they, they, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, where did they come? Yeah. But I, I think it's still that, right? Yep. Like, if you even still look at in terms of brands that advertise in language versus not in language, you know, even from a Hispanic perspective, it's just, it is mind boggling, but I think it, it, I, I believe that over the past year and a half, we've gotten more momentum from brands in terms of truly evaluating not only their DE&I efforts, but also how to reach consumers. Yep. more diversely yeah and and that's a positive right because Agreed. you get the momentum and you see it like it might die down in two or three months but this i think this is sticking and it, and it's a good thing right um yeah so. i mean i feel i feel like de and i has become code for black in the year 2021 and and that's fantastic it's a it's a much um you know it's it's a marketplace and an audience that has been ignored for far too long um i just think dei to your point is black asian latinx it's everybody right it's in and 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 to your point kind of reimagining kind of the general market I, I will say this and i'll do it really quickly it was fascinating i have a theory for um why the, like it's kind of been especially among white people spanish equals latino and when I when we started Levita Baseball, I, I didn't know what I was doing, and so I called executives at both Fox and ESPN, and and their head of um, you know their head of Deportes for each company, and and some executives I knew there, and I asked them. I said, "Look, we don't have the resources to do both English and Spanish. If you were me, what language would you start Levita Baseball in?" And they both said English, and I said, "Then why is all of your content in Spanish? You don't have any English." culturally relevant Latino content. And they both had the same answer. They said it stemmed back from satellite cable feeds, right? The one that goes to America equals English. The one that goes to South America equals Spanish. And it was kind of like you had to pick one. And so that was their theory of kind of how it just kind of evolved of like, hey, we've, you know, South America equals Spanish and we, we, ha we can only put one you know, network cable feed back in the eighties out there, um, which I thought was fascinating. And it just kind of like it, the legacy of that, you know, continues to this day at a lot of the, the sports companies. And so I'm out there with you carrying the flag and uh, just appreciating what you're doing before we let you go. I do want to shift into a couple, two personal things for you. Morning must, I'd love for you to fess up. We do this every week. Fess up on your email inbox, social follows. How do you stay on top of industry news? What what sources do you use? Um, I'm an avid reader of advertise of ad age. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, my inbox is like I there's I'm, I subscribe to everything. So, <laughs> um, I really get a ton of good information, rich information from you know obviously the industry leaders, you know, like, um, the different, like Hispanic ad, um, mm -hmm. the cultural marketing. Um, so those are really the key places where, where I get information from, from, a awesome. kind of a, 
And my final question for you, Stephen, before we let you go, bedside book stand. What are you reading for fun these days? So I don't know if it's a lot of fun, but the first one is Tax-Free Wealth. And then <laughs> the second, it's part of... Is that um, the put you, you, put you to bed? Is that the put you to bed book that you put so you go to sleep? I don't know, man. It, gets me, I, it doesn't let me get to bed because then you... It's actually it's pretty exciting. It's part of... Um, the Rich Dad Poor Dad yes, um, yep. advisory okay. book, yep. uh, which is pretty interesting. And no, it's it, it, it's mind-boggling to see everything that is done from a tax perspective. And then the other book that I've been trying to get through is this, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. So, <laughs> I love it. Who's I, I, I got to get that one. I, I, I want to subscribe to that by theory. By Mark Manson. Okay, I'm in. I love this. This is why I do this. This is like my my poor man's Goodreads. I just ask really smart people yeah, what mean, they're reading. So, yeah, the tax free one is it's it, it's it's good. Good. Yeah. Well, Stephen Pius, can't thank you enough for sharing your time, your insights. Um, kudos to you and your colleagues at, at Spark Foundry for everything that you're doing, um, particularly at Cultural Quotient to carry on. Uh, you know, and educate brands and, and help them maximize their investments. Can't can't thank you enough. Um, keep up the great work. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. Um, anytime. So appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Brand Story Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.